0: Ted Bundy, Jim Jones, Patty Hearst, all some of the biggest crime names of the 1970s. But they're just the criminals who were caught. Some of the worst criminals from
1: that era don't even have famous names. Years later, their crimes remain unsolved.
0: Today, we're looking at 10 of the creepiest unsolved murders of the 1970s. We don't know who committed these crimes, and worse, we don't know why. It's even scarier
1: when you look at all the details. Some of these crimes are so gruesome and so puzzling, you just know
0: it had to be personal. None of today's cases are lacking for clues or suspects, but all we can say for sure is that one person who did know the killer's name is the person who wound up dead. Hey all you weirdos, welcome to the ParCast Original, Crime Countdown. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes. All picked by the Parcast Research Gods.
1: Today's topic is going to be unsolved murders of the 70s. Ash, you belong in the 70s. I'm so excited for this countdown. You have no idea. Yeah, this is your time to shine. This is your decade. Like, I'm barefoot. I forgot my flower crown. I should have brought it. You really should have. I would have
0: been fully prepared to be a hippie for this. Fully in character. (laughs) The 70s were awesome. Hell yeah. There was was David Bowie. Fleetwood Mac. There was, I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yup. Uh, all the horror movies of the 70s. All your favorites. All of them. And they all had that like gritty, nasty 70s vibe to mm-hmm. them. Well, the 70s did have like a crazy amount of insane murders and people are always like, why did the 70s, why were the 70s the time of crazy murders?
1: Well, nothing, like there was no DNA evidence or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And I think it was like the early criminal profiling and criminal psychology. Yeah. The term serial killer hadn't even been coined at that point. I mean, you could just send your five year old down to the store, like on their bike, and you're like, <laughs> no you're gonna deal. come back, right? I think it was just easy. It was hitchhiking.
1: Yeah. I think you said earlier that you could just leave your toupee at a crime scene and the investigators would
0: be like, it's fine. Yeah. They'd just be like, this is, it's fine. That's totally fine. But I think it was just like victims were plenty mm-hmm. because people were out, kids were out. It was just a lot less. It was carefree. I agree, so, which apparently we shouldn't have been.
1: Summer of love.
0: Well, we're gonna discuss it all.
1: The cool part of the show is Elena has five topics and so do I, but neither of us knows which vibe the other one has.
0: Let's start the countdown.
1: Hey, welcome to IKEA, where even this desk is circular. Huh.
0: The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode.
1: Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. This is what you love about the NBA Playoffs, presented by Google Pixel, continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. 10. I'll get us started with number 10, the murder of Jeanette DePalma in Springfield Township, New Jersey. Jeanette left her home on August 7th, 1972, and her remains were found atop a cliff six weeks later on September 19th. That's bad.
0: That's a real, bad outcome.
1: Real bad. Yeah. Well, a lot of rumors flew around the town, mainly that she was killed as part of a ritual
0: sacrifice and that there was a police cover-up of the facts involved as well. I feel like whenever like nature is involved in a crime scene, the police are like, must be a ritual sacrifice. <laughs> They're like, there were leaves here. Yeah. I know it's Satanist. So, like no one hikes. If anybody, if, if this is hiking happening, it's the devil. I mean, I agree. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Well,
1: residents do claim that Jeanette's body was surrounded by occult-like objects, not just leaves. Not so leaves. not just like hiking boot <laughs> prints. Not occult leaves. No, but okay. also dead animals. Ooh. So that's definitely occulty.
0: That's like opposite Snow White.
1: Yeah, it's a very different picture <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Prince Charmy's is just not coming. No. Well, according to Jeanette's close friends, she was a religious girl, but not necessarily by choice. Mm. So, her parents kind of, like, supposedly forced her to go to church, which, mm, like...
0: I feel like every kid was. <laughs> I was literally just going
1: to say that. Oh, and I forgot to mention, her body was found on top of a pentagram. Oh. So, that was also very culty. That's pretty culty to me. Well, no arrests were ever made. For this case That's no good That's probably why It's unsolved I mean yeah That that could add to it (laughs) But in the late 1990s Weird New Jersey Revived interest In this cold case They reported Alleged incompetence By the Springfield Police Department
0: the 70s were kind of known for that. Yeah, 100%. Like
1: it, it was kind of like the tagline of the 70s <laughs> alleged incompetence, the 70s. <laughs> as recent as 2019, a Union County judge rejected a DNA request to test the clothes of Jeanette. Why? Like, why would you not want to catch
0: the killer? I it, was the judge just like, eh, why would we want to close this? Why would we solve a cold <laughs> why case? Solve a case. That's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Science, am I right? That's weird, right?
1: It did prompt retired private investigator Ed Salzano to file a lawsuit to test the clothes. Good. Get it done. Well, hopefully it gets done. But let's like make it I said, a solved case. let's do it.
0: Nine. At number nine is the death of New York party gal turned Hollywood actress Krista Helm. Krista was stabbed and bludgeoned outside of her agent's home in West Hollywood on February 12th,
1: 1977.
0: Uh Uh-oh. She had a child. Oh, that's sad. She was a mother and she had left her child with a good friend because she was going off to, you know, pursue her dreams of becoming a Hollywood actress.
1: Well, there you go. There you have it. she, She
0: wanted to better her life and her child's life. So she was like, stay right here. I'm going to go get it done. That's going to make this even sadder. Thank you for that. It is. I know. We just started off by kicking you right in the gut. Stuart Duncan was one of the first wealthy New York patron of the arts she met who opened doors for her, and she was named Bachelorette of the Month by Cosmopolitan. Ooh, okay. That's an honor. No big deal. NBD. Now, she was known for her romances with high-profile men, and it was also alleged that she kept a sex diary complete with a rating system, to which I say... Get it, girl. I mean, I'm here for that. Yeah. You gotta you gotta keep track of that shit. You don't wanna make the same mistake twice. Yeah, you can't go in thinking like that was a ten, right? No, nope, yeah. that was a two. That was you have barely it marked a down two right here. <laughs> Good for you. Now initially detectives thought that Krista's murder might have been connected to Sal Minio, who was an actor who co starred with none other than James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Ooh. He had been beaten to death a year earlier. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, a lot of strange occurrences. Yeah. Now, according to Krista's then roommate, Tony Sirico, who played Polly Walnuts on The Sopranos. (laughs) Polly Walnuts? That's great. I can't. That's a great name. Took some tapes out of Krista's room when he was sent to watch over the roommate for a few days after she was, you know, just to make sure she was okay after Krista's murder. Right. The diary and the tapes, gone. So Polly Walnuts took them. Polly Walnuts, I don't know.
1: Mr. Walnuts, show me the tape. Polly Walnuts is involved in some way. That's yeah, all I'm saying. That's dirty.
0: It is dirty. <laughs> eight.
1: Well, number eight on our list of unsolved murders of the 1970s is Bob Crane, an actor known for his role in the television show Hogan's Heroes. On June 29th, 1978, Bob's co-star Victoria Ann Barry found Bob bludgeoned to death with an electrical cord around his neck in his apartment in Scottsdale, Arizona.
0: This is a bonkers case. I've read about this one before. Mm-hmm, me that too. That crime scene is so gruesome. Yeah, it's crazy. I would not want to see pictures
1: of that. Nah. No, thank you. <laughs> there was no forced entry into the apartment, which started the mystery because that's weird in and of itself. Yeah, because you're like, okay, they either know the person or they left their door unlocked, <laughs> which is no good either way. No. Well, Bob had a reputation for his amateur pornography collection. Okay. Okay. All right. His obsession with sex is what might have killed him as he was doing a different sort of on-camera work behind closed doors. Spicy. Spicy. So hot. So spicy. The fact that he started showing nude photos of women he had slept with got him into trouble on the set of Disney Studios. Woof. Probably not the best place to show nude pictures of anybody. No. Not at all. Don't do that. The executives found out that he was doing this and it got into publications like the National Inquirer. Not cool, Bob. Not cool. His love for erotica films led to a friendship with John Henry Carpenter, a sales manager for Sony. John had flown out to visit Bob in Scottsdale that week, and they allegedly had an argument. Sounds shady. Arguments lead to murder sometimes. Yeah, That's all th- I'm saying.
0: I'm just saying, sometimes it happens. I'm not saying a correlation. I'm just saying it happens. It's there, you That's know? I'm saying. You
1: just never know. Well, police suspected John, and they searched his rental car. They found blood that matched the type of Bob, but DNA testing was inconclusive, and he was acquitted.
0: Seven. At number seven this week... The Lady of the Dunes. On July 26, 1974, a woman's body was found in the Race Point Dunes in Provincetown, Massachusetts. She was nearly decapitated, and her hands were amputated, possibly to prevent identification. I keep getting the Massachusetts ones, and I love it. I know, you really do. <laughs> like, thank you, Park House Research Gods. They know where it's at. I'm going to leave them a Boston cream pie on their altar again and see if I get another Massachusetts one. So that's one. how you've been getting them. I just let out my secret, I'm sorry. <laughs> Joe Hill, the author, he's an author, and he's also the son of Stephen King. Casual. No big deal. Casual just, name drop. My dad's just Stephen King. He really thinks, and I remember seeing this circulating everywhere, mm. he thinks that the Lady in the Dunes might have actually been an extra on the set of Jaws. So I've heard that before. Yeah, because they were filming near the murder site that mm-hmm. summer.
1: Isn't that so creepy you, to think about yeah. when you watch
0: that movie now? And if you see the photo in like the mock-up of the murder victim, mm-hmm. they do look a lot alike. Really? I've I mean, never I've never looked. It's kind of crazy. It's com- it's one of those things that's like super compelling. But right. We, but then not compelling at all. Oh, Because damn it. you're like, it's just two brunettes, but like They all look alike, don't they? They definitely look alike. I don't know. (laughs) It's one of those things. Yeah. But what makes it compelling is that in the part of Jaws that this extra is in, Mm -hmm. she's wearing a blue bandana on her head and Mm -hmm. she's wearing jeans. Okay. Well, they found a blue bandana and jeans with the body. Did they really? Yeah. So that makes it a little more compelling. I mean... I'm willing to think that the spawn of Stephen King might be onto something. I think he'd be knowing. Just saying. I think he'd be knowing. So, in 1981, investigators learned that a woman who resembled the victim was seen with Whitey Bulger. Oh, well, there's your answer. And this was around the time that this woman probably died.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and assume a little bit here.
0: Whitey has a nasty habit of often his ladies, so... I don't know. Doesn't you know, look good. It just that might have been that might be solved. It's not as a good far thing. as we're concerned. And one other thing that Bulger kind of had like a penchant for uh-huh. was removing his victims' teeth. Oh, yeah, he he like dabbled in orthodontia. You know, casual and dentistry. The, yeah, you know, Whitey <laughs> Bulger. Right, DDS. Right. So the Lady of the Dunes' teeth had also been removed.
1: I feel like he was a little bit ahead of his time doing that because, like, wow. forensics, yeah. Forensics. Like okay, was, Whitey, I know. what did you know?
0: <laughs> what, Whitey? Yeah, he's gone now, so that's good. I that's think Whitey did it. did it.
1: I think we actually just solved a crime right here, All right. right now. well,
0: take it off the list, it's solved at the gods. Done, Parkcast Research <laughs> Gods. Uh, but despite her body being exhumed in 1980, 2000, and 2013, her identity still remains a mystery.
1: That's so sad. So she has not
0: been laying to rest. No, she has not rested in peace at all. Yeah, that's really sad. Six.
1: Also on our list of unsolved murders of the 1970s, at number six is the Easy Street Murders. Hmm. Suzanne Armstrong and Susan Bartlett were stabbed to death on January 10th, 1977, in their home on Easy Street, which was in a suburb of Melbourne, Australia.
0: Better name would perhaps be... Difficult Street. (laughs) Difficult Street would definitely be a lot better. Maybe Nightmare Street.
1: Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, not not Easy Street. Yeah, definitely not. They should rename that street. They should. Well, there's a lot of sad parts about this. (laughs) This
0: this whole thing's sad. This whole thing's
1: pretty sad. One of the saddest parts is that Suzanne's 16-month-old son was in the home.
0: Oh. when this all happened. This all went down while her baby was inside. No, that bums me out whenever that happened. I mean, it bu- murder bums me out. Murder it's a is a bummer. But whenever there's like a child that was there for it, especially 16 month olds, they're yeah. aware. Right. You know what's going on. You might not remember the details, but... But
1: that's going to be traumatizing that's later. That's
0: going to do something later.
1: Luckily, the baby was unharmed. Oh, thank thank God. Right? Yeah. Well, Armstrong was sexually assaulted and stabbed. Ooh. Bartlett heard all of this going on. Like, she's hearing her friend get attacked and she's probably like, what the hell? So she goes out to help her friend and she ends up getting stabbed after she goes to help her.
0: What a good friend. I know, right? Getting stabbed for your friend. I know. Wow. Seriously.
1: That's sad. And then, like I mentioned the baby earlier, his name was Gregory.
0: Oh, Gregory. Gregory. I know. Little baby Gregory.
1: Well, his cries alerted Uh. the neighborhood that something was going down. Because obviously this is like a super stressful scene. Like he's freaking out.
0: Yeah. So, you know, that'll just, that that fact will just haunt me forever. So I appreciate that. I know. It's really sad. Uh.
1: But I mean, luckily he was crying because that's when police went to the home. Good for Gregory. But obviously the killer already escaped. Because it's unsolved. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, police focused heavily on a reporter slash journalist who was asleep in a house asleep quote-unquote because
0: oh, I was gonna say should we really focus on the person that was unconscious during the
1: murder Is <laughs> like I was sleeping yeah I was sleeping I was just catching some z's yeah well he probably wasn't if they were focusing probably on him. not he claimed to be asleep in the house next door when these murders happened hmm. he had been a suspect in another disappearance of an American tourist in 1975
0: Huh. Coincidental.
1: But you know what? He was sleeping then, too. Oh,
0: snap. He's just just real
1: tired. (laughs) I made that up just to spice it up a little. Just sleeping everywhere. (laughs) But he was cleared of that crime, maybe because he was sleeping. I don't really know. Yeah. No, just kidding. It was DNA testing.
0: Good old DNA.
1: It finally came around. We love DNA. The director of
0: public prosecutions
1: will also consider granting an indemnity from prosecution for anyone who can help solve this case. Ooh, snap. Yeah. So hopefully it gets solved. I'm hoping. That sounds pretty good. It does.
0: The podcast research gods have traumatized me with Gregory. Yep. so traumatized. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you. This is pretty intense so far.
1: It's intense because we also solved a crime, if you
0: remember. Oh, we did.
1: Like, but we're just doing a casual recording here and we just saw sol- we did police work. We have five more. We might solve
0: some more crimes here. Let's get it. I'm ready for it. Let's solve another crime. Let's do this. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild.
1: Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. This
0: is what you love about
1: The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.
0: Five. Alright, let's jump back in with number five. Number five, Harvey and Jeanette Crewe. On June 22nd, 1970, the New Zealand home of farmers Harvey and Jeanette Crewe was found empty, except for their 18-month-old daughter sitting in her crib, and multiple bloodstains around the home. Both Jeanette and Harvey's bodies were found months later in the Waikato River. Both had been shot once in the head with a 22 rifle.
1: Oh my god, that's horrific. I really don't love all these toddlers Yeah, why are being these around? lone
0: babies being left? Why are you throwing me all these lone survivor toddlers? Come on, Parcast gods. So there's one huge question in this case. Not only who did this. Who done it? But who fed their 18-month-old daughter, Rochelle. No. In this completely blood-stained home five days before her parents' bodies were found. Wait, what? She was cared for, like fed... Maybe hydrated. Some sources said like up to like forty-eight hours prior to finding her.
1: That makes me feel like somebody who knew them did it,
0: right? Yeah. Cause it's like you don't have you you can't be that good of a person to just like walk into a house and like shoot two people no that's that's intense so it can't be i don't feel like it's some random person that was just like you know what i have a heart and i'm just right. gonna take care of this 18 month old like, also no. it confuses me that
1: they like didn't take the baby because they obviously cared for the baby so it's like why didn't yeah. you take them i'm glad they didn't
0: yeah but. i mean good thing mm-hmm. but i mean there are some suspects that came about that maybe this makes sense about hit me up so there was another farmer his name was arthur allen thomas he was convicted twice for these murders and got life in prison. Okay, but it's unsolved. So yeah, what happened? Well, Thomas received a royal pardon after it was was revealed that police just faked evidence to fit oh, that. Oh, they yeah. put somebody
1: else's toupee at the crime scene. Exactly. Didn't they, they just
0: threw somebody else's weave onto a couch <laughs> and were like, "Whoop!" They did is. it. Yeah, it was Arthur Allen Thomas, and the police officers who framed the evidence were not charged. How? Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. So they were found to have faked evidence to get this guy in jail for the rest of his life. Like, not
1: even a slight slap on the wrist. No,
0: they they were probably just like, don't do that again. Why would you guys do that? Come on. Like, great prank, but don't do it again. (laughs) Super funny. Wicked hilarious. Won't be funny a second time. No. Now, detectives found proof that both the bodies of Harvey and Jeanette had been weighted down by an axle. Okay. And they said that this was because whoever killed them was trying to obviously keep them hidden. Right, Didn't obviously. Want them found. That's also to me, that feels like very mobbish. I was gonna say or like that organized crime or somebody who is at least professional. Did Whitey
1: Bulger do this one too?
0: Whitey Bulger just like flitted over to New Zealand. Real I don't quick. know
1: if he would have like fed that baby though. No,
0: nah, nah, I not don't very see caring, caring man. Doing that <laughs> we can say it because we're from Massachusetts. We know, right? I've been to South. We all know Whitey personally in Massachusetts, <laughs> so we know he would not feed. that We're baby. like
1: all distantly related <laughs> to him Probably.
0: So, <laughs> so senior police officers and crown lawyers became super paranoid. And they were so concerned that their backroom conversations were gonna be monitored by the commission that they called on security intelligence service to help them for backup.
1: I mean, I kinda don't blame them. Because they got,
0: it was just, this it's case- so high profile. Yeah, this case got crazy weird. Right. I also read an interview with Rochelle, the you 18 did. month old. It's not her as an 18 month old, but it's her as an adult No now. way, yeah. you don't say. She grew. And she's actually pissed Mm -hmm. Because she said the police for a while focused on her grandfather Len... Mm-hmm. and because he was the one who initially came on the scene and found them. Right. And I think he, like, left and came back. Which like, you're not he supposed to, to do. And he, like, left her and went and got help and came back and got her afterwards. So police were like, that's, that's weird. weird. Uh, she thinks they botched the investigation because well, they, they focused did. on the wrong people. And oh. He's out there somewhere, obviously.
1: Well, that would make sense, like I said, because she was she was fed, so I think it was a relative. I'm
0: saying. I think we just solved it. I'm not saying who it was, but I'm saying it's probably blood-related.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying. Solved. On to the next one. (laughs) Too solved. How many
1: (laughs) to go? Four. Number four for Unsolved Murders of the 70s, Georgi Markov. It's the number four spot. A celebrated Bulgarian writer and author was assassinated in 1978 while waiting for the bus. What? Crazy, right? Yeah, that's not good. Even crazier, the Bulgarian government is a main suspect. Well, I mean, I think we can move this one to the solved list as well. I think we're like, we're really on a roll here. I think we got it. Well, the reason that they're a suspect is because Markov defected to the West and wrote during an era of communist suppression and dissent is not really tolerated over there. Yeah, I'm going
0: to go with solved. We got it. We figured this one out.
1: Well, so he's standing there at the bus stop, you know, waiting for his bus.
0: Yeah, as one does.
1: As one does. And he feels a sting in his right thigh. And this person walks by with an umbrella and just, like, mutters an apology (laughs) underneath their breath. Like, oh, sorry, I just, like, shoved my umbrella into your leg.
0: It's just like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) See you later. I also (laughs) picture
1: them in, like, a trench coat with, like, a top hat. I do, too. Right?
0: And, like, sunglasses. Yeah, Yeah, maybe some
1: sunglasses. Yeah. Although, like, it might have been raining, so, like, would it be sunny?
0: Yeah. But maybe they were just trying to, like, be cool.
1: And a fake mustache. They were trying
0: to be like Corey Hart, wear sunglasses at night.
1: Oh, okay, I like it. Well, the umbrella injected a small metal pellet filled with ricin.
0: Ricin is no joke.
1: That's going to kill you. It's going to get you. Well, Markov actually didn't die right away, which is kind of insane. What happened? He was rushed to the hospital, obviously, and he died a few days later because ricin mimics symptoms and appears to be, in hospital investigations, a natural disease.
0: Well, a little, you only need like a little tiny, I think like a grain of, of salt-sized mm-hmm. bit of ricin to like literally kill an adult person. Is that why it's
1: called ricin? Because it's like rice? No, it's like Salt. Salt. <laughs> Well, whatever. Is that why it's called ricin? Because it's like salt? Well, you said grain, (laughs) so I thought like grain of rice. Grain of salt. Whatever, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Well, so they didn't realize right away like what this was. And then scientists did an experiment where they injected a pig with ricin poison. Well, That's not nice. Not nice at all. (laughs) The pig was fine for a little bit, but then he died because they injected him with poison. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's when the autopsy showed the same symptoms as Markov.
0: Ooh. So they kind of figured it out. Connection. Science.
1: Connection. Intelligence agents knew that Ricin had been the subject of decades of research in the chemical warfare laboratories of the Soviet
0: Union. Chemical warfare is terrifying. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Terrifying. Like, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not about that Real life. busy that yeah, day. I don't want to do that.
1: So multiple journalistic investigations incriminated a Bulgarian foreign agent. Are you ready for his name? Oh, I'm ready. It's a pub. It used to be a pub around here. Oh, Piccadilly.
0: Piccadilly. Do you
1: remember the Piccadilly pub? I
0: do. That's adorable.
1: Well, not this guy.
0: Piccadilly didn't do it.
1: Well, he denied the charges, so I guess he didn't. He's
0: like, my name's Piccadilly.
1: He's like, I own a pub over (laughs) in the South Shore, so I'm busy. (laughs) Get me out of this whole mess. I'm frying up some fries today. No, your name's Piccadilly. You don't do stuff like that. Well, that's why it's on the unsolved list. Ooh. Three.
0: Number three this week is the Durham's Valentine's Day murder. We love a Valentine's Day murder. Do we? <laughs> we do. Sounds sad. Who doesn't? On a rainy night in 1971, 19-year-old Jesse McBain and his fiance Patricia Mann attended a Valentine's Day dance at a hospital in Durham, Cute. North Carolina. Afterwards, they headed for a secluded area Ooh. and were never seen again.
1: Because that's why you shouldn't go to secluded areas. You're never seen again most yeah, times. Yeah, you're never seen alive again.
0: No. No. So on February 25th, that's when their bodies were found. And mm-hmm. they were found in a really scary way. Okay. Their bodies were found together. Uh-huh. They were covered in leaves. They were miles from where they had parked their car. Uh-huh. Now, their hands were tied behind their backs with super thick ropes. And then those, they were tied to a tree. Are you serious? And then the rope was knotted around their necks. Oh, my God. And this is what it's this is like gruesome. So, yeah, there was evidence of torture here because there was strangle marks on their necks. And it looked like investigators said it looked like the rope had been tightened Mm -hmm. and then loosened several times. So they had probably, like, choked them out, then would release them, tighten it, loosen it, tighten it, loosen it. Is that, like, a garrot, or is that different? No, that's a little different. Okay. But it's just torture, just straight-up torture. There were also deep marks in the mud where Mm -hmm. they said that their, like, legs and feet were thrashing around during the torture. and So they could tell that it was just... A long can you imagine having to
1: investigate this scene and like know that? That would be rough. No thanks.
0: This was a rough one. A prominent suspect was a doctor at a nearby hospital, and this doctor repeatedly refused to cooperate with authorities. Now he's still a person of interest and still alive. Are you serious? Yeah, they have not, he is still a person of interest today. And not only that, his DNA has been requested and he refused. Can't they get, like, a search warrant for he's it guilty. or something? They probably don't have enough evidence.
1: If you refuse to give over your DNA, you're 100% guilty.
0: But they can't even... They can't go on it, unfortunately. I know. They I'm can't be like, you
1: refuse, give me it. They should. But he's guilty. I would write that into law.
0: You <laughs> would be a good politician. <laughs> right. DNA testing obviously wasn't available in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But now, it could be, like the key to solving this case. And right. And to not have this guy's DNA is like... Oh. Someone in his family that thinks he did it should, like, give their DNA. Somebody go on 23 Me. Let's Golden State Killer this. Let's do right it. Right now.
1: Let's solve another one on this list. <laughs>
0: right? So the location of their alleged abduction and then where the bodies were brought to meant that multiple police departments were involved in this. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, during the time of the murder they didn't really share information with each other. I think we've seen this in other murders Mm -hmm. that police seem to be very hesitant to share murder jurisdictions. You would think that they would want to to solve the murder, but it's like a pride thing. And you know what? It's like police in the 70s especially, it was like... Mm -hmm. What what are we gonna do? They were like, Let's Me just, and my handlebar mustache guys are gonna yeah. solve
1: this. You guys can't. Yeah.
0: You guys take your full beards and we'll take our handlebar mustaches and we're gonna win. So
1: get out of here. <laughs> so
0: get It's a turf war. Here. Yeah, they didn't want to do it. Now, there's not enough evidence for prosecution of the suspect that they think could be doing this and mm-hmm. uh, could have done this. Mm-hmm. But DNA right now is the key. Right. That's what they're saying. That the DNA is the thing that's gonna get this person caught. I want them to get the DNA. Because this is awful. I mean, this is horrific. Literally tortured. It's like you had and they were brought so far away from Mm -hmm. where they were initially. found. It's Who did that? Well,
1: and then you have to wonder whoever did that probably did something like it again. So that could potentially solve some other crimes. Exactly.
0: Let's connect.
1: Let's do this. Let's
0: just give us investigator badges and we'll fix this. This
1: I like this. It's perfect.
0: We've got it. We're on to
1: the top two. The final two. The final. I know what number two is, obviously, but I
0: don't know what number one is. And I don't know what number two is. Oh my god. This do you, you is want me to tell you? I do, but I'm a little scared because it's already been pretty crazy. It's been bleak. Alright, Parkass Research Gods, what you got? It's about to get bleaker.
1: Two. Number two, the Burger Chef murders. Uh Uh-oh. During closing time on November 17th, 1978, four employees of a Burger Chef restaurant in Speedway, Indiana, went missing.
0: That's a bad shift.
1: A a real rough shift, one might say. Mm -hmm. Well, the bodies were found two days later and over 20 miles away.
0: That's weird. Isn't that real weird? Yeah, that's real weird. It's
1: like, what happened here? Mm
0: -hmm. Well...
1: At first, it looked like a robbery. Of course. Because the money safe was open and $581 in cash was gotta missing. Get that one. Gotta get that extra single. Yeah, you, know? you got Well, that was all missing, but the money in the watches were found on the body. So, like anybody that had money in their wallet, it was found with them.
0: Hmm. And That's like, weird. The watches were there. So it sounds like robbery was kind of like a pit stop on the right. way to murder.
1: It wasn't like number one, but it was no, on the list but a it was definitely,
0: th- it was on the to-do list.
1: Right. So the four employees were found in a neighboring county, not in the store, like I said before. It's theorized that one of the victims died of asphyxiation from choking on his own blood
0: that is a really bad way to go isn't doesn't that take a while too i mean yeah is isn't like that's fucked up ooh that made me want to clear my throat yeah <clears> throat>
1: His death is the most curious out of the four of them. So he died the worst death, it seems like.
0: And it feels like there's four of them, they were carried so far away. It's like, there had to have been more than one person who did this, And
1: it makes me feel like maybe they knew this person. I don't know. I don't know. To get
0: four people in the same car, like. I I feel like it could have been like strangers, but it had to have been more than one person. I can't see four people. I mean, I shouldn't say that it's happened before, but it seems unlikely that one person is gonna control four people, but. That's true.
1: Well, like I said, one of them, it seems like they died the worst death, but two were shot and one was stabbed twice with a hunting knife and the handle was broken off and missing from that knife.
0: And that also, that sounds like really aggressive.
1: Super aggressive. A hunting knife? There's a lot of anger behind that. Right. I'm like, what happened at this Burger Chef restaurant?
0: What happened in your life?
1: I don't understand. To bring you here. Well, the jackets and the purses of two of the victims were still at the restaurant. So that took out the police's initial theory that they had taken the money and just gone for a joyride.
0: Yeah, this wasn't about money, I Not feel. at all. Yeah, that's clear. I don't have a badge and that's pretty clear to me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I think we should get badges after this because we're solving murders. And also,
0: it seems like the police aren't really doing their job here. Oh yeah, 70s police were just hanging out. It's
1: a theme on this <laughs> countdown and it's happening in number two because the police made a ton of crucial errors From the beginning. I'm shocked. When the morning crew came to start work the next day, get this, the police let them clean the restaurant. Yeah, just clean up the crime scene. Why don't you? Just, can you just do me a favor and wipe up your coworker's blood over there really quick? It's fine. That would be great because then it's we don't fine. have to call what's that? What's the crime scene yeah, cleanup? We don't
0: we don't need aftermath ink and yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It'll be fine. Police in the seventies. It's cool. What a trip. What a trip. Yeah. And then
1: they messed up the second crime scene too.
0: Oh good. That had
1: potential to provide DNA evidence, obviously. But that was no longer available to match to the DNA at the restaurant. So oh, it was good. like it wasn't gonna work out. Fun. Investigator compromised that one as well because some of them drove through areas that should have been sealed off. I
0: feel like police in the 70s might have just been like a bunch of toddlers on each other's shoulders in trench coats. Right. Like, I feel like that is what Is the reality and they were just like it was
1: actually toddlers disguised as police officers. They were all just real
0: psyched to be there, just running around driving
1: cop cars through crime scenes. That's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. In addition, the officer, the one who later admitted, quote, "We screwed it up from the beginning." (laughs) You don't say. You don't say, dude. He accidentally took two pieces of identification from a body home with him in his coat pocket. And he didn't realize that he had taken these until a few weeks after the murders.
0: All right. I mean, who among us hasn't brought critical pieces of evidence home in our pockets and not realized it for weeks?
1: I mean, it's happened to me once or twice. Who among us has not done that? I didn't want to admit it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I can't fault him for that. Now I don't feel so alone. Yeah, that's totally fine. One. And that brings us to the craziest one on the list, the LaSalle Street Murders. On December 1st, 1971, three men were found dead in a house on LaSalle Street in Indianapolis. Their hands and feet were bound with their throats cut. Ooh. It remains one of the area's most notorious unsolved crimes. I could see why. So two of the victims had quit their jobs. They had been working for a man named Ted Euland to start their own company. Okay. But when they left, they took some of Euland's clients, his equipment, And some money. (laughs) That's never a good idea. Yeah, it wasn't one of those like super, super just like... Wasn't a clean break. There was no handshake at the end, no. Mm -mm. Yuland had taken out a $150,000 life insurance policy on the men. Oh, casual. So immediately investigators were like, you, you do like it. a prime suspect
1: yeah i don't know you did it i
0: always say life insurance policies will just always get you i'm never spotlight. taking one out yeah it's just like when you do that and then somebody dies it's like well i'm like, going away forever
1: sorry to my significant other but like you just better save up while i'm alive <laughs> you just better be good bye
0: so the police captain thought you hired a hitman
1: mm-hmm that he would was make like, sense
0: yeah because he was like there's no way this guy did it because he has a rock-solid alibi that put him in southern Indiana at the time of the murders. Okay, so he didn't do it himself. So he didn't do it himself, and I think the fact that it was, like, such a rock-solid alibi, he's like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't even in the area. It's like, he definitely hired someone. So one of the victims was thought to be involved with the ex-wife of a man named Carol Horton. Okay. So the ex was seen crying outside of the crime scene. Oh. Which, to me, I'm like... I think you can confirm that there was something going on there. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Seems to If me. you didn't before, now you do. I think that tells you. So cut to 1992. Okay. Freelance journalist Carol Schultz launched her own investigation. So she befriended Carol Horton. Carol and Carol are biffs. So she's doing this because Carol thinks... That this was a jealous rage, that this was a murder Mm -hmm. purely from passion, Mm -hmm. totally killed out of jealous rage. So she's trying to find out the truth. So she's going in there basically undercover. She's being a fake friend. She's being a fake friend, but like for a good reason. Exactly. Yeah. So Schultz worked with a police detective to go after Horton. Mm -hmm. Horton ended up being indicted and spent about a month in jail in 1996. This was 25 years after the murders. That's a long time. And also the year you were born. <laughs> I mean, hey yo. There was some crazy stuff going on Year there. of the Ash. Year of the Ash. <laughs> so in court, though, the detective admitted to telling Schultz to lie to Horton and say his fingerprints were found at the scene. So they were trying Just to trap lie him. about evidence. Yeah. They're trying to trap him. So they're going to be like... They're doing the whole like, well, your friend ratted on you. Instead, they're being like, well, we found your fingerprints there. They're like, how are you going to explain that? So he's like, well, shit, now I can't explain He's like, know. real weird because I wasn't there. Guess I was there. So Schultz also revealed that she had negotiated a book and movie contract and had been offered up to $1 million for her story. Ooh. And her book points to Horton as the killer.
1: So I'm like, did you just do this because you wanted your book
0: deal? Seems or... like, yeah, seems like a conflict of interest. <laughs> Were you coming from a good place? Yeah, it's not, it's not looking shady at all. No, it's, it's fine, super it's fine. fine. And that's number one on our list of craziest unsolved crimes of the 1970s. That was a great countdown. That was bonkers. Bonkers. That was, and you know what? I think number one was a pretty good number one. I think it was. I think that. I'm just going to say. I agree with it. Yeah. I think that was pretty good. All those
1: Boston cream pies did you well, sis. They did, but. What? You know how I always say I want to like. You want to one up the gods. I I want to get you struck down. I know it
0: is, but I'll keep giving the pies. So it's fine. So I think one thi- one crime might have been left off here. What crime? There was a whole crime spree in 1971, beginning in 1971, okay. called the Freeway Phantom Murders. Oh, I think I've heard of this a little. It was six black girls, ages 10 to 18, and they were found murdered and discarded along highways in D.C. Okay, that
1: definitely could have made number
0: one, well, perhaps. And they were all snatched right off the street. Mm -hmm. And many of them were sexually assaulted. Some of them were washed clean. Oh, that always creeps me out real bad. Their clothing were changed. Like, it it was just really weird. And that's still unsolved? Still unsolved. Uh Uh-huh. And the names of those victims were Carol Spinks, who was 10 years old, Darlena Johnson, who was 16 years old, Brenda Faye Crockett, who was 10 years old. Oh, my God. Nenomosia Yates, 12 years old, Brenda Woodard, 18 years old, Mm -hmm. and Diane Williams, 17 years old. So they were all super young. Yeah, and they have no leads on that one. We
1: need to look into that. So just saying. We solved many cases here. Let's solve that one. One of the ones we solved, we'll just bump that into the spot. Boom. (laughs) Wow. This was crazy, though. Intense. Well, as always, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another
0: great episode. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker. And if you like this show,
1: follow at ParCast on Facebook and Instagram and at ParCast Network on Twitter.
0: And you know what? If you like us, you can follow our podcast, Morbid Podcast, on Instagram, at Morbid Podcast, or on Twitter, at Amorbid Podcast. Crime
1: Countdown was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kristen Acevedo, produced by John Cohen, Jonathan Ratliff, and Kristen Acevedo. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart.